All right, tonight, kind of building off of where we've been uh, studying the prayer life of Jesus and going back even into some of the things that we have been talking about, preaching about all year long, about confidence and authority. If I have said those two words together 10 times this year, I've said confidence and authority from behind this pulpit 10,000 times this year. Uh, The Lord has driven that home in a major way, not only in my heart, but with what he's doing in our church. Our desperate need for confidence and authority as Christians as we continue to grow spiritually. And then more than that, really, that we would ask the Lord for confidence, ask him for authority, but then that we would be willing as Christians to challenge ourselves that we are never satisfied with where we are spiritually that we wake up each day with a hunger, that I am not satisfied tomorrow with where I was today. I want to know more about Jesus tomorrow and be closer to Jesus tomorrow than I was today. A constant hunger. As you age, as you grow older, and as you experience life on this earth and you get some more experience in life underneath your belt and you're able to stand up here and sing with your band and talking about having aches and pains in places you didn't know you could get them. When you get to that place, uh, things can happen in your life where stagnation becomes a real part of your makeup and your person. Uh, Spiritual stagnation can be dangerous. Spiritual stagnation can cause you to lose sight of what's important. We have to keep the internal spiritual waters of our soul ever bubbling and ever moving. And it must come from that well of living water that never runs dry. There has to be a hunger. There has to be a desire. That's part of the benefit, if you will, or the benefits package, if you will, of being a Christian. Uh, I think it's one of the greatest identifiers for me in my life. Uh, It's one of those things that I can carry into my faith and know that my faith is authentic, that it's set, that it's real, is that I have a hunger for things that are not natural to who I am as a person. Before I got saved, there was no desire for truth. Before I got saved, there was no desire for the righteousness or the holiness of God to be imparted to me. Those are things that came when I got saved. There must be a stirring of the water. But it's so easy, especially if you're busy, if you have a lot going on in life, that things can sort of stack up against you. And before long, your water is stagnant. Now, if you've ever been to a swampy area, if you've ever been down to Louisiana, or if you've ever been to Mississippi, especially after a hurricane comes through, and all that storm water and all that drainage water gets to set out in the hot sun in parking lots and in places where water normally doesn't stand, uh, you give it long enough, and that water really becomes stagnant. And you know that it's stagnant because you can smell it. The sulfuric content of that water gets so concentrated, it's almost more than you can bear to smell. That's what we're talking about, allowing that dirty, stagnant water to take root in our life and in our spiritual walk. I want my spiritual life, if it's a water source, to be a raging waterfall that's always moving, always going after, always going further than it did the day before, pushing for more and for more. And that's part of the struggle. That's part of the fight for these days that we're living in, struggling against the enemy 
and struggling against the flesh. It's one thing to, to fight an enemy that uh, is a spiritual enemy, spiritual warfare. And I think when we think of spiritual warfare, we think of an outside entity. But when we're fighting spiritual warfare, when we're in the struggle, we're in the fight, sometimes the greatest enemy that we're fighting against is actually ourselves, our own flesh, our own desire. Again, stagnant water exacerbates that problem. That flesh has to come under subjection. The only way that happens is with a daily communion, a daily walk, and a growing consistency with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are fighting. We are struggling. We're asking for confidence. We're asking for authority. And the good news and what we're going to point to tonight, if we had to title tonight's message, it's this, our game plan to defeat Satan. Our game plan to defeat Satan. We are called to be more than conquerors in this life. We are called to be victorious over death, over the flesh, and over even the grave, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. And we have been called to live victoriously even over Satan himself because of what Jesus has done. And a lot of people live their life, a lot of Christians get stagnant or get uh, distracted. And sometimes we live with a little bit of a defeatist attitude in our spiritual walk. We live with a bit of a spiritual pessimism that the glass is always half full, that things are always worse instead of better, that there's not really anything positive to look at. The world's coming unglued. The world's falling apart. Oh my word, look at Fox News. Look what's happening. The economy, all these things are falling apart and it can become overwhelming. And if you're not careful, if you're focused on that, and if that's what you're consuming, especially if you're not consuming God's word in a healthy lifestyle, consuming his word, growing in the grace and the knowledge, you take in all that other junk and you allow it to be applied in your life and how you think and how you respond and even how your emotions are set, you're setting yourself up for pain. You're setting yourself up for failure. You're setting yourself up for disappointment. Uh, God has called his children, and this is what's important. God has called his children, those that belong to him, to live victoriously. We have an opportunity to game plan against our enemy and win. Who likes winning? Oh, I love winning. I love winning. Who likes losing? If you do, let's go play putt-putt so I can win and you can lose. The best putt-putter, this has nothing to do with the, the message. Our creative director's wife, Miss Emily Weinbarger, who's sitting right back here, is the greatest putt-putt player I've ever met in my entire life. If there was a professional putt-putt league, she should be in it. Incredible putt-putt player. Now back to the truth of God's word. So here's my question. Do you believe in your heart that you can beat Satan in your own capacity, in your own mind, and in your own possessions? No. 
Now, do you believe as a child of God, regenerated, born again, uh, with the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of you, do you believe then that you can beat or win or be victorious over Satan when temptation comes, when trial comes, when worry and doubt and fear comes? Do you believe that you possess with Jesus what it takes to beat Satan? I do too. And the Bible proves this to us over and over again. We must know, we must believe that through Jesus and because of Jesus, we can be victorious. Now, we've talked about this for a couple of weeks, but remember what happened. Jesus beat Satan. He overcame Satan. He overcame temptation as a man in the desert by quoting Scripture and by fasting and by praying, when he was tempted for 40 days in the desert, with Satan himself being the tempter. You cannot tempt God. You, Satan had no right to question or to tempt God in the authority that Jesus had as all God. So if Jesus is being tempted, if Jesus is tired, if Jesus is hungry, if Jesus is weary as he was here in the story about the Samaritan woman at the well, that is within the capacity of his humanity. And so Jesus as a man goes into the desert for 40 days and comes out perfect and comes out sinless, just as perfect and sinless as he went into the desert. And he did it by quoting scripture. The word became flesh and in Satan's face, the word quoted the word and left the desert sinless and spotless and perfect. That is a greater man than I will ever be. That's why he is my Lord and my Savior Jesus beat Satan. He overcame Satan as a man in the flesh so that you as a man, as a woman in the flesh could do the same thing. He was the great trendsetter. He was the bar setter for us as Christians that we can be victorious over Satan. Uh, I think part of the problem, part of the struggle is our mentality the way that we perceive ourselves, the way that we perceive the world, even the way that we perceive uh, our salvation. Uh, sometimes I feel like we get into a little bit of a box where we look at what's right in front of us. We take in how bad things are. We look at one situation. Uh, again, this goes back to even this morning. The human emotion can be very dangerous. And we allow ourselves to forget who we are. If you're saved, if you're blood-bought and born again, it comes with a pretty impressive roster that God's given you almost like a, a bio, if you will, about who you are and what you are. Not because, again, of you, but because of what Jesus did for you and imparted unto you. We preached a message a couple of months ago. Uh, it was called the, the Team That Can Never Lose. It talked about the church and what has been spoken over the church at the gates of all Hades, all hell, all evil could never prevail against the church. Jesus spoke that into existence. But why then do we not live our lives in that capacity? That evil will never overcome us. That all hell can never separate us from the love of God. Why then do we allow ourselves to get in some of the mess that we get ourselves in? Because we've lost sight of it. We have taken the idea, we've taken on the mentality that we're whooped. Well, if you belong to God, if you're in the, the family of God, if you're a child of God, you can't get whooped. You can't lose. 
We already know. We get to go to the back and read what happens. It's already been settled. It's already been set. We win this thing. And if we'll just stay faithful as we travel down this road and as the aches and the pains and the hurts and all the things that happen in life, as they take place, if we'll remember not only that we do win in the end, but that we can win on a daily basis. We can win the day-to-day lifestyle as a Christian. It will change the way we look at ourselves. It'll change the way that we look at each other. And it'll change the way that we look at the world. You can beat Satan. But I believe in preparing. I believe in making a plan. You need to pray for your staff, for your associate pastors, for the men and the women that work alongside me each and every day. Because they have a leader. Your pastor is a planning preparation, chart, let's spell it out, a little bit over the top sometimes. I love it. I love flow charts. I love protocols. I love the bottom line. And then you especially need to pray for Miss Pam Ledford, who keeps my office going each and every week. Pray for that woman. Pray for her. She takes on a lot. I love planning and I love preparation. But you know what? I think the Lord expects us to plan and to prepare. And then it's one thing to plan and prepare, but it's a whole nother thing to execute. It's great to have a chart. It's great to have a flow chart. It's great to have a protocol. It's a whole nother thing to actually execute that plan. And in our lives, it seems a little modular and it may even seem a little too simple. But if we'll start compartmentalizing some of this stuff and looking at it as an apple that we can just kind of bite around the core and get to the end of this thing and win, then we can do just that even in our spiritual life. I'm a very visual person. I like taking a problem and visualizing it and and sort of figuring out how we're going to eat this elephant, if you will. Well, you eat an elephant one bite at a time. A plan for our succession in our life spiritually. That it's not just that I fall into consistency and holiness with the Lord. You're never going to accidentally trip up and fall into a consistent lifestyle that honor and pleases the Lord. If you're going to have a lifestyle that honors and pleases the Lord with tenure and with any type of consistency at all, you will have to be absolutely radically intentional in the way that you live. But the good news is, according to Scripture, we're getting ready to look at, you can game plan and be successful. If Brian Snitger, the the manager of the 2021 world champion Atlanta Braves was to walk into his clubhouse before every game and say, boys, I don't even know why we're going to go out there today. I really don't. I don't know why you're going to swing the bat. I have no reason. I I can't even understand why you go on the field. We're going to lose. This team is so much bigger than us. They're so much scarier than us. There's no reason for us to even play the game. There are some Christians living that way as it pertains to the spiritual warfare, the battle and the struggle, and even their own flesh. They're setting themselves up for failure. And and carefully, I want to say this. Some people use that as an excuse to be lazy, to allow sin to continue in their life. 
Well, the devil's got a grip on me. Well, are you saved? Well, the devil, boy, he's really been tripping me up lately. How about you stop giving the devil so much credit for your own flesh? My first question to someone who says that to me in love is this. Well, are you reading your Bible, brother? Well, yeah. Okay, what you been reading this week? Some Psalms. Which one? The good ones? <laughs> hey, I've been there. Sometimes uh, we need a little, little shake-up. And we need to take radical ownership for our own flesh, our own spiritual direction. And that leads to us doing that in our own homes. You see, here's a pattern. The Lord's really laying this out for us. But in your life, in your walk, with what you experience in temptation, and I said this a couple of weeks ago. I met Dansby Swanson at Truist Park. I got to talk to him for a few minutes. And I told Miranda after I met him, he seemed like he had something heavy on him. We talked to him about his faith. I said, hey, if you believe it, if you love the Lord, and if you're going to make a public statement, would you be consistent in it? I know it's tough. I know it's hard. But you keep being consistent in what you believe and why you believe it. Now, again, and I said this, we don't look to that man as a type of Christ. He's a, a $100 million shortstop. I've never been tempted to that level. I've never felt that pressure before. You've never been Elvis Presley and, and felt what he felt. Daniel Buchanan says that all the time. You've, you've never felt what it was like to be Elvis and be tempted to that level. You don't know what the, I've never gone to my bank account at State Employees Credit Union and seen $300 million and been tempted to that level. I never have. But there are some people who live in this world who have the opportunity to live a different lifestyle and they live even in a different level of temptation than I do. So for me to be satisfied with what I have, happy in the Lord, and to know that no matter what my earthly possession is or my earthly position is, I can be victorious. That should charge all of our batteries and put a smile on our face that we can be victorious. But we have to game plan. Let me give you the game plan. Here's how and why we can win. Here's how and why we can win this spiritual battle against Satan himself. My goodness, it's almost six o'clock. Number one, here's how and here's why. Number one, the Savior's victory at Calvary. The Savior's victory at Calvary. John 12, 31 through 33. Now this is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I... If I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. Jesus is explaining to them the type of death. If I be lifted up, what happened when that cross went from a supine position to an upright position with your Lord and Savior nailed to that cross? He was lifted up. 
But with that lifting of the cross and the crucifying of Jesus Christ for your sake and for my sake came the pendulum that swung hard and struck hard that the devil knew the moment it took place that his days were numbered. It all goes back to the cross. Everything hinges for my victory that happened at the cross. Absent of the cross, if the cross never took place, if the crucifixion never happened, then I have no hope of being victorious over the devil, over hell, and over death. But because the cross did happen, I can be victorious. I had nothing to do with the victory of the cross, but the victory of the cross and everything that it represented was gifted to me at my salvation. You can be victorious. You can defeat Satan. You can defeat temptation and woe and doubt and worry and fear. Number one, because your Savior was victorious at Calvary. Praise the Lord for that. This is the beginning of our victory. This is the genesis of our final approach where we land in heaven and we get off the plane and we're at a place of perfection where there is no more dying, no more death, no more sickness. And all of it comes down to this one place where the victory began at Calvary. It's rooted in the actions, the preparation and the sacrifice on the cross. You can be victorious. You can win even on a daily basis because of your Savior's victory at Calvary. His victory at Calvary. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, He also Himself likewise took part of the same. Jesus is all God and all man. Amen. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The ultimate purpose of reincarnation, of incarnation of our Lord, the ultimate purpose of his incarnation as a man, him becoming all flesh, was to come to this earth and die. The ultimate purpose of his incarnation was to come to earth, become a man, and die. By conquering death, he rendered Satan completely powerless against death, hell, and the grave and gave you yet again another reason why you can be victorious and never have to fear death ever again. If you belong to Jesus, you don't have to be afraid to die. You don't have to be afraid to die. Death is nothing to fear for those that belong to Jesus. Rather, it is a joy, it is a celebration that I get to pass from this mud ball of sin and hurt and pain. And that is not the end, rather it is the beginning of my story because of Jesus. There's victory because of what your Savior accomplished on the cross. There's peace 
and what your Savior accomplished on the cross. For the believer, death is swallowed up in victory. Therefore, the fear of death and its spiritual bondage has been brought to an end because of Jesus. And child of God, saint of God, no matter how old you are, when Satan comes and he attacks you and he whispers to you in the darkness of your bedroom, two and three o'clock in the morning, and he's whispering things like you're going to die, you're going to be in a car wreck, you're going to get a cancer, you're going to suffer, you're going to die an agonizing death. You just tell him what you know to be true. And that is that Satan cannot touch one hair on your head without it being within the perfect, permissive will of a holy God who bought and paid for you. There's victory because of the cross. The second reason you can be victorious in this life and defeat Satan is because of the intercessory prayer ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The intercessory prayer ministry of Jesus. Take your Bible and turn to John 17 for just a moment. And I do want to take the time to read this. Matthew 6 and Luke 11 have often been called the Lord's Prayer. They've always been given that designation. That's the Lord's Prayer. If you say, take me to the Lord's Prayer, you turn to Matthew 6 or Luke 11. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day. That is a wonderful prayer. And yes, it was the Lord's instructions to the disciples on how they were to model their prayer. But in my heart of hearts, I believe with all of my heart that this is the real Lord's prayer. This is the heart of the Savior pouring out. And what's happening here in this chapter are the final moments of his ministry before Mount Calvary takes place. Now, what we're getting ready to read is is an eyewitness account of God the Father listening to God the Son. Are you taking this in with me? God the Father is listening to the prayer of God the Son. I've stood somewhere within 500 yards of where this prayer happened. I've got dirt that's still on my boots at home from the very ground where this prayer was prayed, where Jesus lifted his head and his hands and looked into heaven and communicated with his holy Father. And I want you to look and I want you to take in what the content and the context of this beautiful Savior's prayer was this day when John the Beloved recorded it. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven. And Jesus said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee as thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. 
I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested that thy name unto men which thou gavest to me out of the world which thou gavest me. I have manifested thy name unto who? The men. The men which thou hast gavest me out of the world. Thine they were and thou gavest them me. And they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all these things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came out from thee. And they have believed that thou didst send me. And here it is. Verse number nine. I pray for them. The Son of God communicating with the Father. And He has those men which should believe on His heart. And He says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are mine. They're mine. I'm his and he is mine. Oh, bless his holy name. I got mentioned in the prayer. Jesus prayed for me. In verse number 15, he says, I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world. Father, I'm not asking that you give them the path of least resistance. Father, I'm not asking that you bring them on up to heaven because there's going to come a generation that will need to hear the good news that 2,000 years ago, Jesus bled, Jesus died, and he was the Son of God. I pray not that thou should take them out of the world, but thou should keep them from the evil. Jesus prayed for me. He prayed for you that God would protect you from the evil. If you believe that book and you believe every word, then you must be compelled to believe that the God of the universe had you on his mind the moment he prayed for you. Oh my, I bless your holy name. You can be victorious because Jesus has prayed for you. Over 
Jesus could see through time and eternity. And He would know what we would face in these days. He knew the darkness that was to come, the evil that would prevail. He knew of all the things that would take place, all the things that would consume families and break hearts and destroy, just like the old tempter went after Job and Peter and all of those that he loved. He knew that Satan would still be loose against us. And he prayed for us to be kept from the evil. Jesus prayed for you. And that prayer is still being prayed even today. It's not a dead prayer. It's not a one and done. It's still being prayed today in the presence of the Father. That He would keep you away from the evil. How many love to know that somebody's praying for you? It's one of the greatest gifts that can be given. Now go home tonight and when the old tempter comes, when the old accuser comes, you just remember that Jesus is praying for you to stay away from evil. I can hardly wrap my mind around it. Oh my. You can be victorious because of Jesus' prayer life that included you. Number three, you can be victorious because of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I wish that young pastor wouldn't be so emotional. Oh, I love him. 1 John 4.4. 4. 1 John 4.4. 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. See, the Holy Spirit of God that moved in, that took up residence the moment you got saved, it has a great office. It has a great extension into your life. One of the things that we have to protect ourselves from these days more than ever before because of technology, because of access, you must be ready to protect you and your family and guard your heart against false teaching and against false preaching. If you find a preacher on YouTube that you like, that your flesh loves to listen to, you might need to find somebody else to listen to. Just because it sounds good and it feels good does not mean that it's right. But the Holy Spirit of God, when He moved in, He gave you that balance and He gave you that systems check that if something was to come across your eye gate or your ear gate that did not seem in line with what He wanted, with what He desires, and with what is truth. Uh, have you all heard the old timers say, uh, my spirit really just doesn't bear witness with that. Yeah, that's not from you. That's from the Holy Ghost of God. Uh, it's like dad was talking about that lady at the Krispy Kreme. His spirit bore witness with her spirit. What spirit? His spirit. It's something that you got at your new birth that allows you to seek and go after truth, but to have your spidey sense tingle at the back of your head when you know something's not right. Boy, that, that verse, the way he's preaching it, mm, I'm going to have to read that for myself. 
I'm going to have to really know what I know and why I believe it. The Holy Spirit will always lead into sound doctrine and reveal truth. He doesn't work in mystery, signs and miracles and wonders. Those days have come and gone. We live under the dispensation of grace and we have for us canonized Holy Scripture. We don't add to, we don't take away. The Holy Spirit of God is our guide with this. It's protection against false preaching, protection against false teaching, and it's the victory to overcome it. It's victory over temptation. It's victory over worry. And the Holy Spirit of God does His work. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed. Everybody say that word with me. Sealed. I wonder if I can put these glasses back on. I need some windshield wipers. Sealed. It's a very important word here. That you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of His glory. God's own Spirit comes and indwells the believer and thus secures and preserves His eternal, my eternal, your eternal salvation. But let me give you this and we'll go get our children and go home. This word sealed is sfragidzo, sfragidzo. It's S-F-R-A-G-I-D-Z-O, phonetically. And this word is a powerful word. I found this in my office about 420, and I thought I was going to lose my mind. It indicates an official mark of identification placed on a letter, a contract, or a legal document. A seal, a mark of identification placed on a letter, a contract, or a legal document. And that document verify officially, officially under the authority of the person whose stamp was on the seal, signifies four things. Four things that this Greek word means. Number one, security. That whatever the contents of that letter says, the person who put their, their seal on that letter is giving you the permission and the right to present it and that anything that's inside the content of that letter is safe and secure. Number two, authenticity. It's mine and it's real. It's my mark, it's my seal, it's my identity. This is the social security number. This is the, uh, the mark of identification that brings security and authenticity. And then thirdly, it indicates ownership. It does not belong to anyone else, nor can it mean that it is a shared possession. In other words, it's not that this document would indicate that someone owns 50% and another party owns the other 50%. This is total, absolute ownership. It's like going and paying off a car and you have the title in your possession that says, this is my car, ownership. And the last is authority. I have the right to do I have the right to say, and I have the right to manip manipulate and change 
the outcome and do with as I please whatever is found within the contents of this document. Security, authenticity, ownership, and authority. The Apostle Paul said that we're sealed. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit is given by God as His pledge for all of eternity. His seal of the believer's future inheritance in glory. It's certified. It's secure. I own it and I have the authority over it. You can be victorious this week, tonight, tomorrow, next week when temptation comes. When accusation comes. When worry, doubt, and fear comes. This is your game plan to defeat the devil. Amen. Thankful for the Lord. Let me give you this verse. Someone help me on the piano as we close. We're going after confidence and authority. Our game plan here to win, to defeat Satan. Let me give you this verse for this week as you go about your life. Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, He it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Let's pray. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, God, we are thankful for your word. Bless the reading. Bless the people. Hide it in our heart. Give us confidence and authority because of the accomplishment of our Lord and Savior. Give us victory this week. Keep us until we meet again. It's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen. I love you, church. Thankful for you. Thankful for the truth of His Word. You can be victorious this week. Know that you're loved. Know that you're prayed for. Let's be who God's called us to be this week. Heritage Keepers will meet Wednesday, even in light of the tent meeting going on. Uh, hopefully, Lord willing, Pastor Ralph will be here to do that. If not, we'll still meet. We'll still have preaching and time together, some fellowship and lunch. So please make sure that you're here in your place for Heritage Keepers this coming week.